Please turn with you now to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5, beginning in the first verse. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. And the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go, get yourselves straw where you can find it, yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and today, as before? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, and they say to us, Make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is with your own people. But he said, You are idle, idle. Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore go now and work, for no straw shall be given you. Yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, You shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, Why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a dark chapter in your word. And Lord, we come to a low point in the story. But we are thankful it is not the end. But even still, Lord, every last word of Scripture is inspired of God and it is put there in order that it might do your people good. There there are good reasons that we might be exhorted, that we might be encouraged, that we might be taught through them. And how we pray, Lord, that none of these things would fall to the ground, but rather that you would open our hearts and minds to know and to understand and receive 
and be blessed by this word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we come to Exodus chapter 5, and the whole chapter is taken up with this first encounter of uh, Moses before Pharaoh and also of the immediate consequences of it. And to tell you what you have just heard, Pharaoh does not agree to let the people go. Rather, he dismisses contemptuously this request, and he doubles down then on his tyranny over the people of, of Israel requiring of them the very same quota of brick-making as he previously had, but now this time without supplying them with the necessary raw material, which was straw. Now, on this level, the incident simply sets the background then for the ten plagues because they first, it, it wasn't that. They showed up, snapped their fingers, and immediately brought about the death of the firstborn. They came and they asked nicely first, But Pharaoh refused and attempts to demonstrate his power over the Israelites. This is exactly what the Lord had prophesied, incidentally, in Exodus 3.19. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. So I will stretch out with my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. Midst, and after that, he will let you go. So even in this, Pharaoh is acting in accordance with God's sovereign determination. Because God knew he was going to do that, God had determined that that was going to happen. As we read in Romans chapter 9, all that Pharaoh had done, he had raised him up precisely for this purpose, in order that God's glory might be demonstrated in what was about to happen. Because the Lord would soon enough overrule him, demonstrate his absolute power over the Egyptians. Now, on another level, we've said from the beginning that Pharaoh is a picture of Satan. And the question is, maybe, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, why does Satan desire to keep us captive? What is in it for him? What is behind his mentality that he seeks to hold all the world captive as his slaves? Well, if indeed Pharaoh is a picture of Satan, and I think he is, then we can learn something of this. We can learn why he doesn't let us go. We can learn of his mentality and and strategy. And and that's useful for us. Again, Paul says, for we are not ignorant of his devices, Satan's devices, but sometimes we are ignorant of his devices. Sometimes we are completely ignorant of his his mentality and and mindset. And therefore, we're unprepared for the way that he deals with us and others. So maybe we can learn a little bit, even from Pharaoh, and therefore redeem what would otherwise be a very dark chapter in Scripture. And the title is Pharaoh's Obstinacy. Do you know maybe Pilgrim's Progress, children? Do you know of obstinate and pliable? Well, this is a version, this is another uh, aspect of, of obstinate. This is Pharaoh's obstinacy. And these four points. One, he does not recognize the Lord. Two, he demands incessant service. Three, he is a hateful tyrant. And four, he slanders all that is good. He does not recognize the Lord. He demands incessant service. He is a hateful tyrant, and he slanders all that is good. This is Pharaoh's obstinacy. Well, first of all, he does not recognize the Lord. In verse 1, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go 
that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Well, who is the Lord? Now Moses had said, hadn't he, the Lord God of Israel. It's not that the people had never been there before. Yes, this Pharaoh had not known Joseph. A new Pharaoh had arisen, which was not of the same dynasty, and therefore they, they did not have continuity and knowledge of Joseph. But they surely knew of the people of Israel that lived in the land of Goshen. There were millions of them. And they knew then all that needed to be identified. Everyone knew that every people had a god. They had gods, and the Israelites had a god. They knew this. And all that needed to be said was that he was the the God of Israel. That's enough to identify him. But even today, when people want to disrespect someone, they feign ignorance, don't they? And they say, who? Who's that? I don't know who you're talking about. When they seek maliciously to disrespect someone they ought to respect, they ask the question, who is he? Well, that's what Pharaoh does with the living God. Now, there may well have been actual ignorance of the true God in this. Of course there would have been. Of course he, there was a huge level of ignorance. But it was willful ignorance. Even that's no innocent matter. Romans chapter 1 makes it clear that God is continually communicating himself, continually revealing himself even in creation and certainly beyond that in, in, our, in our own being, in our conscience. And had he wished to inquire who this God was, all he'd have to do is to go and consult with the people of this nation. But he had no desire. In his wickedness and rebellion against God, he was willfully ignorant of God. Matthew Henry said this, Ignorance and contempt of God are at the bottom of all the wickedness that is in the world. Men know not the Lord, or have very low and mean thoughts of him, and therefore they obey not his voice, nor will let anything go for him. Now, I'll say this, as I say, it's ignorance, but it's willful and culpable ignorance. It's not innocent. He did know. He twisted what he knew. He should have known more and better, but he didn't. But soon enough, he will know a little bit more about the Lord God of Israel. He will have more knowledge of the living God soon enough as he reveals himself in his hand of power and of judgment. Now, let me say, this is, this is Pharaoh, Okay. And maybe of all the things that we're going to say, this is the point at which Pharaoh is, is the least exactly like Satan. Neither Pharaoh nor Satan recognize the Lord, but Satan, at least, knows a lot about him. Okay? Satan knows full well who the living God is. In terms of pure knowledge, he probably knows more than any theologian. He was there at the beginning. He's seen it all. He saw everything in person that we read about, all the great events of, of history, even like this, and certainly of the, the life and, and death of the Lord Jesus, he had a hand in that, you know. Um, he saw these things. He knows the truth, but he doesn't, he doesn't tell it. He lies instead. And the reason why he refuses, even though he knows God, he refuses to acknowledge him as God, refuses to recognize him as Lord, is because he has set himself up as a rival God. Right? He says in his heart, I will be like the Most High. And therefore, he slights, therefore he refuses to recognize the true God as he sets himself up as the usurper. He does not recognize the Lord. Secondly, in Pharaoh's obstinacy, he demands incessant service. 
Because in verse 3 they say to him, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest you fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Now I'll just pause there to say this is not exactly what the Lord had said to Pharaoh. Did you notice that? It is, it is not exactly the instructions that had been given to them. The instructions that had been given back in Exodus 4.22 were a little bit more direct. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, my firstborn. Now, why they say what he did, which was not that judgment is about to fall on you, but rather, let, please, let us go three days into the desert and sacrifice the Lord our God, lest you fall upon us with pestilence of the sword. The Lord hadn't said a word about that. Why, he, why they said that, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe they thought it was too confrontational a way to begin with the king of Egypt. Uh, we, we, Moses has already admitted he's, he's a little bit fearful and would rather not be doing this job, and maybe that got the better of him for a moment. In any way, this, this flaw was passed over in silence. Why? Because our God is not a hard man. Uh, he, he's not seeking to, uh, to, to uh, extract everything from his servants at every point. Moses had gotten across the gist And in the future, he was going to say exactly what the Lord had told him as he gains in his confidence and experience in doing this. Well, maybe a lesson for us somehow also. Maybe there's been a time in which we've had an opportunity to to witness and testify to someone, and we do it in a little mealy mouth kind of way, and we regret it, and we learn from it. I hope we do. But you know, the Lord is pleased even in any step of obedience. That's always better than doing what Moses first proposed to do, which was to refuse to go at all. Anyhow, we see the response of Pharaoh in verse 4. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. That's the thing he, didn't, he wouldn't, wouldn't permit, is that he is come to give them rest from their labor. Why? Because he... Is the taskmaster because he is the one who requires incessant labor from his slaves. Now, there was a vast number of the people. They were capable of doing an immense amount of work. They were capable of adding to Pharaoh's wealth. And by, by his lights, by his perspective, every hour they're not working, he's, he's standing to lose. And would have them working until they die for his increase and in gain. Now, that's all in great contrast to the Lord. Such a, and this is, I think, a useful counterpoint to this morning's sermon because we spoke that the Lord would have us to do business until he comes, right? But let's not mistake him for the kind of, of taskmaster that Pharaoh is. It's not the same thing. The Lord is the maker of all things. He is not enriched by our service. You see? Please let me say that again. He is not enriched by our service. Rather, we are enriched by it. And he would desire that for us. He, he would wish, indeed, that we would have much fruit on the day of judgment, that he might reward us. But one of the first things he does after this exodus, bringing them from the, the land of Egypt, one of the first things he does is to reinstitute and reaffirm the gift of the Sabbath day which he had given from the very beginning of time. 
And there is this explicit rationale in Deuteronomy 5. Maybe you remember it. Deuteronomy 5.15. This is in the context of the fourth commandment that there ought to be a Sabbath day in which you rest from all your labor. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of them from there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. He knows what it was like. And he came to rescue us from that situation. He does not want us to be in a situation of incessant labor. But rather, he can afford, you see. He can afford to give us rest. And he desires to give us rest. He intended to give us rest. So please, whenever you think of the Lord, do not mix up in your mind the wicked taskmaster who demands incessant labor, which is Satan of his slaves, And the living God who loves us and desires to give us rest. It is Pharaoh who is complaining that Moses has come to give him rest, which is very true. Let me also say that this mentality of must, that that Pharaoh would be served incessantly by his slaves, that this mentality is the very opposite of Christ, because he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When we want to know the mentality of Christ, it's very easy. We turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we say, and we hear, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we hear that he laid aside, he said, he he was willing to leave his life of of perfect communion with the Father and, and with the Spirit in perfection in heaven, and to lay down all the signs and the outward accoutrements of his glory in order to serve, to serve us. He's not demanding incessant service. He himself came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And that's the mentality that we, as God's people, should have. Well, say this Pharaoh, he's, he does not recognize the Lord. He demands incessant service of his slaves. And thirdly, he is a hateful tyrant. The same day, verse 6, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they they made before, and you shall not reduce it. Wow. Now, there was no good reason for that at all. Okay, He, he could have... Even though he could have demonstrated his, his contempt for God by saying, who is the Lord? He could have retained his slaves and, and, and make them carry on in their incessant labor as he had done before. They can't even have a break to go and worship their God. No, they must stay and serve me incessantly. All that would have happened. But no, he has to add even to that by this wicked, wicked uh, increase of, of labor in which making to, 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 to make these bricks, the same amount of bricks that they always had, which was something that was nef- definitely challenging. Now he's going to add to it, you have to go find the raw materials for it. Go scrambling all over Egypt to find the straw and stubble to make it. Now there's no good reason for that. There's no good reason. Certainly the quality of bricks was going to suffer. You can imagine these bricks would not have been as good as the ones before The only reason why he did this is cruelty and hatred because that is his nature. He is a hateful tyrant. And likewise, in verse 10, he speaks to the taskmasters 
of the people, and their officers went out and spoke to the people. Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you can find it, yet none of your work will be reduced. Let me just pause there to say, again, the contrast with what we saw in this morning. Uh, the, the unbeliever saw Christ as a hard man, but he was not. Christ came with a gift in his hand, a valuable gift of Amina to, to give to his, his people in order that they might have increase. Pharaoh, in his wickedness, as a hateful tyrant, says, I will not even give you the raw material from which you were to make these bricks. Go get yourself straw where you can find it, yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. The officers and the children of Israel, of whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? This is just cruelty. This is unnecessary there is nothing that, there is, is, that it will be benefited except for the fact that he is a hateful tyrant. And later on, later on, when the people come and give their complaint to Moses, that you put a sword in, in his hand to kill us. Because had, he carried, had this been allowed to carry on this way, of them scrambling all day long to find something, and still required to make the same quota and then to be beaten for it, it surely would have killed them. And would Pharaoh have been sad? Not at all. This is Satan. He is a murderer. He has been a murderer from the beginning. And the fact then that he reigns, he, 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 uh, he is a tyrant over his people in a way that will surely kill them is no problem for him. That's his intention all along. And he's glad for it. He's a hateful tyrant. Well, this is Pharaoh's obstinacy. Fourthly, he slanders all that is good. Listen to the explanation that Pharaoh gives to his officers for this policy change. He has a policy change. He's going to explain it and promulgate this policy to his officers. And he says in verse 8, For they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. And in verse 9, Let more work be laid on them, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. The first slander is that they were idle. That was not true. As any objective look at the cities that they had built would demonstrate they were not idle. But Pharaoh slanders them and says that they were. And the other slander is that these were false words that they were listening to. And this was the very word of the living God as he had appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And yet it was maliciously slandered as false words. It is breathtaking. That such things could be said. Breathtaking. And yet here, Pharaoh speaks of these things as if they were nothing in his wickedness. He slanders all that is good. It's then repeated in verse 15. The officers of the children came and, cry, and, and cried out to, people, to, to Pharaoh saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants. And yet they say, Make brick. You see how they're being dealt with unjustly. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is with your own people. And he said, you are idle. Idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. He is slandering the people 
slandering their motivations, slandering the word of God. This is what Satan does. This is exactly what he did from the very beginning. Think of how he slandered God in his, both God and his, his own person, his words, his motivations in Genesis chapter 3. I'll read it, in fact. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Wow. Why is he saying that? Again, he's turning things away, uh, to the other side. He's the, the wicked, hard taskmaster, but he's trying to act like, like the Lord is the, the austere, hard, stringent man who has said there are 10,000 trees in this garden and 9,999 of them you can't eat from. Slander. As God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Of course, she's already getting into the mode when Satan speaks in such a way. Sometimes people catch a little bit of the disease and she's adding to that uh, the word. God hadn't said anything about touching it. Then the serpent said to the, the woman, you will not surely die. God has lied to you. He has lied. His words are lying. You will not surely die for God knows. Now he's not done yet. He says God is lying. And then he goes on to say, for God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He imputes these false motives to the living God. God has spoken his truth in his love and compassion to his people in order to protect them, in order to bless them. And Satan in his wickedness and obstinacy is slandering these things to say, no, it's because he doesn't want you to be like him. He's envious, he's jealous, he's hard-hearted, he's not good, and he's keeping good things from you. Now let me say, young people, this is a strategy of Satan. He will absolutely come and say there is some good thing that he, that he is keeping from you. God is such a hard man. He's not good and gracious. He is strict and stringent, and he is keeping good things for, for no good reason. Except he doesn't like to share. What a wicked slander that is. The truth couldn't be any, any further from that. No matter, There's no way that you could draw a line far enough. It is 180 now out from the truth. That a, a generous, loving, good, communicative God is giving every good gift to us. And he is withholding nothing. He didn't withhold his own son. So it cost him everything. He gave us all. And how we could imagine that he would ever withhold any good thing is beyond us. But he slanders. God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And they died, spiritually. All human race along with him, Satan, the murderer that he is, his slander of God brought about the fall of mankind. This is the obstinacy of Satan, as it is shown to us in the obstinacy of Pharaoh, and even the most the pure words of God are in his lips, 
slandered into wickedness and lies. And what can we say about this? It's a pretty ugly picture, isn't it? When we look into the heart of, of Pharaoh, there is nothing good in it. He doesn't even recognize the Lord. He demands this incessant, ceaseless, restless service of his slaves. He's a hateful tyrant that doesn't care if they die or not. And he slanders all that is good, slanders them, their own deeds. Although he, they've been working hard for him, calls them idle. Though they're merely repeating the very living word of God, he says these are lying words and imputes false motives to them. Well, what can we do about this? What are our applications? First of all, I say be free from Satan's tyranny. His brothers and sisters, friends, this is no way to live, is it? Is that a way we want to live? This, do we want to live under such a tyrant, such a hateful, wicked, slanderous, murderous, hard man such as, as Satan? Again, going back to Pilgrim's Progress, there's that scene as, as Christian meets Apollyon. And Apollyon is calling him back to his service. And he's explaining uh, that the Christian is saying, you know, your service is a hard service. It is not by which a man can live. If I stayed under your service soon enough, I would die. I'm going to a different master. I'm going to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's a really good idea. And if there are any among us who still serve Satan, I say leave his service because there is a better master out there. And he is calling you to himself. Be free of Satan's lies and tyranny. Go and serve the Lord Jesus Christ to your profit everlastingly. And you'll not, you'll not be sad that you did. Now let me say though, even having said that, let us be careful then. If we have embraced the Lord Jesus in faith, let us be careful then not to go back. Because surely one of the strangest things in all the word of God that as we go through this book of Exodus, we're going to come to the wonderful triumph of the final plague, and we're going to come then to the crossing of the Red Sea, the destruction then of the, of the whole army of, of Pharaoh. Pharaoh himself is going to die. There's going to be a song of Moses in chapter 15. But boy, before we get to the end of the book, the people of Israel are going to be complaining against their Redeemer, And they are going to be asking to go back to Egypt. It's bizarre. They don't get it. It's sad. But if we learn nothing else, let us know. Let us not follow that bad example. Let's not go back to Egypt. This is what we've been saved from. This is what what God sent his Redeemer in order to bring us out of such a tyranny. To bring us out from such a hateful service. From such lies that are destructive. Let's not go back to Egypt. Let's not listen about the leeks and onions and all the rest of it. Okay? Satan was there murdering them. He sought to kill them. They were slaves. Leeks and onions and fish pots. All right? That's, that's beside the point. And though there are the pleasures of sin for a season, yes, the world and Satan offer those things. Let us not imagine that life under Satan was any great treasure. Please, just ask any of us who used to live in the world, and we'll let you know. It's no wonderful thing. Satan is not a good master. He is a wicked tyrant, and you ought to be free from his tyranny. 
Secondly, you ought to know that trials are going to come because look at the snapshot of their, their condition. Okay, let's, for a moment, we know the end of the story. They don't. We know the end of the story, but let's just for a moment take a little snapshot of their situation at the end of Exodus chapter 5, shall we? Starting in verse 19. As the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. How about that? They saw that they were in trouble after what was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, so there's Moses and Aaron wondering how this meeting went. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge. Because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. To put a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble to this people? Why is it that you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Brothers and sisters, I I wish I could say that such a snapshot would never happen to you in this life. But I, uh, I suspect, maybe I even guarantee that such a moment will happen. There will come a time in which you will wonder, why has the Lord dealt with me thus? And that the things that you expected and hoped and thought you had warned from the word of God to expect and hope have not happened. But rather it seems almost the opposite has happened. This is a great trial for the people of God. I would say it was even a greater trial for, and burden for Moses and Aaron. As they've now been accused of doing wickedness and doing evil to the people and making things worse when they sought to make things better. But my friends, this is not the end of the story. And we cannot fixate too much on these snapshots. The story is not over for them. There are many more chapters yet to go, and the story is not over for us. If that is your snapshot at the moment, please do not imagine that the last word has been spoken. The last deed has been done. Okay, God's good promises have never failed. He has promised, incidentally, that there will be trials and persecutions and tribulations in this world. And no doubt this was a severe trial for all the people and particularly for Moses and Aaron. But de- better days were ahead. And we need to put our faith in the living God. Be prepared for trials. Don't fixate on the snapshot and the end has not yet come. Thirdly and finally, more and more specifically about trials, let me say that good will be slandered. We can't expect that. It has been thus in the whole history of the world. If, if God himself, in all of his perfection, having just created a perfectly good world in which there was not yet a single incident of, of, of any kind of sin, In this world of pure perfection and goodness, he was yet slandered by Satan. His his attributes, his character was slandered. His motivations were slandered. His word was slandered. The Lord Jesus, living in this world among men as without sin, utterly, perfectly loving his neighbor as himself. Never once could it be said he didn't do that. Never once could it be said that he even shaded the truth. 
It was all perfect truth from his lips. And yet, he was not just once, not just twice, but on numerous, almost continual occasions, he was slandered by the religious leaders of the nation, the so-called conservative religious leaders. If that is true, if that could happen to the living God, if that could happen to the Lord Jesus Christ, then it can happen to you. And let me say that that's been the case throughout all of time. And if anything, we can only expect it more in this day because, you know, there is not much left on the list of sins in the contemporary culture. One by one, they've been legislated, in fact, to be good things. Not much left. But intolerance, i.e. speaking the truth in love, is certainly one of them. And of holding to the basic biblical norms of what is true and what is right in accordance with the law of God, these things have been, are being, and shall be spoken against. And you and I will be slandered in the midst of it. Now, none of us relish confrontation. I hope not. I certainly don't. And Moses certainly didn't. All right? We think of Moses as being such a strong man, but he, he did not want this job. And he didn't relish this confrontation. But let me say, if we crumble every time somebody calls us into question or slanders the word of God, then it's going to be even worse. Okay? We will be slandered. Our good word, the word of God, will be spoken against as evil. But let us resolve to be faithful and to entrust ourselves to the living God who is able to rescue us and will vindicate us on the last day. Because let's not forget, the king is going to return. He's going to judge the rebels, and he's going to reward his servants. And that is the day we look to. Let's pray. Our gracious God, Lord, we see into the heart of an evil and wicked man, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Lord, in him we see beyond him to the one that he portrays and typifies, which is Satan. And in him there is no good thing but malice and hatred. He is a wicked tyrant. In his obstinacy against the Lord and his desire to hold his people captive, we see, Lord, there is nothing in it except his refusal to recognize that the Lord is God, his desire to have his slaves constantly serving him, his slander of all that is good and his malicious tyranny and murderous intent to these people, indeed to the people of the whole world if he were given the chance. We know, in fact, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you sent Moses to set the people free from this tyrant And we are thankful that you have sent the Lord Jesus Christ that we might be set free from Satan. We are thankful he is the stronger man who is going to bind Satan in order that we might be set free. Heavenly Father, how we pray, Lord, that we would embrace Christ. We would seek out his service and forsake the service of Satan. And that we would not soon return to Egypt. Lord, we weep when we consider our strange desire for the pleasures of sin for a season, for all the things 
that we were redeemed from. We pray, Lord God, that you would give us better ideas and a a stronger uh, desire to serve Christ and a more realistic picture of what it's like in Egypt. And Lord, we pray, as we know that there will be difficult moments in this life, you have promised, you have told us that it will happen. You said this was going to happen before it happened. And Lord, we know that there will be snapshots that look very, very dark and grim indeed. Lord, may we not be in despair, but may we recognize that better days are ahead. And Lord, this is not the end of the story, but that in the end, all of your servants will be vindicated and rewarded. The truth will be told, and there will be a happy, a perfectly happy ending for your people. May we look to that, knowing, Lord, in the the midst, in the in-between time, there will be many things, including the fact that even the truth that we speak will be slandered. Lord, we entrust ourselves to you and look to that reward on the final day. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.